I was annoyed this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many things to complain about in the world, and I picked a very petty one because yes, why not? Certainly. Well, well, more intellectual people than us are covering the important ones. Yeah, this is in, within our sphere of knowledge, kind of. <laughs> well, I think, yes, I think it's mostly within yours, but I'm very happy to sit here and be schooled. Yeah, well, anyway, so I they announced Okami HD this week on they PC. They did. I pre-ordered it. I'm excited. Mm. And so I went to the store page, and on the right, on every store page, there are recommendations that Steam makes based on other games you've played or own. Okay. And it said, we're recommending Okami HD to you based on recent games you played, Deadly Premonition and Mafia 3. And What have those got to do with Okami? Yeah, I thought this was pretty wonderful. A, a wonderful display of how incredibly poor Valve's recommendation algorithm is. Because yeah. uh, these games... <laughs> okay, so Okami is... If you people don't know, I mean, there's a game that came out on the PS2. Like, who cares? Yeah. So it's a cartoony game with like a painterly style where you run around as a wolf and do kind of Zelda type stuff. Yes, it's kind of it's a it's a Zelda game with a mythological bent, and it's not just a cartoony style. It's like ancient Japanese calligraphy type stuff, isn't it? It's yeah. Very beautiful to look at. Yeah. And let's take Mafia Three for example. <laughs> 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 it's a game taking place in the 60s where you play an african-american vietnam veteran who comes home and kind of leads a life of crime and you go on the warpath against other gangs in the city and you ex inflict brutal violence on them where you kind of stab them in the heart with a knife in finishing moves and there's a, apparently one scene where you go to like a kkk meeting and like throw hand grenades and mow down everyone uh, <laughs> I've not played this game, but I have played Okami, and the closest thing that I can compare that to in Okami is that rather than stabbing people in the heart with a knife, what you do in Okami is you run around and it makes the flowers grow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was probably up there with like the least appropriate recommendation you could think up of. The other one would be, I guess, Deadly Premonition. Which uh -huh. is a horror comedy game uh, in the vein of Twin Peaks. And like, yeah. Mafia 3 and Deadly Premonition, they don't have crossover audiences or crossover yeah. appeal. And neither does Okami. So it's no. like, here are two games that are not only nothing like Okami, they're nothing like each other either in genre or tone or style of writing. And like... Yeah. It's a bit like it's a bit like if you if you were with your child watching an episode of Peppa Pig on Netflix and at the end it said like why not try the film Casino? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this was such a blatantly stupid recommendation that I had to like just jump around and see what other games uh, how it worked for other games and in many cases Steam just kind of gives up if it can't find games uh, as an example to show you, it says that, oh, we recommend this to you because you played games recently with the tag Open World. Uh, uh, thanks, right. that's really helpful. 
Or mm. I, I went to Train Simulator 2018 and it said that, oh, this is similar to Test Drive Unlimited 2 and F1 2016. And it's like, <sighs> no. <laughs> One of them is an arcadey open world racing game on like Hawaii. The other one is like a hardcore racing game for only F1 fans. And like, again, even though these are kind of vehicle-focused games, there yeah. is zero crossover appeal between Train Sim fans and Test Drive Unlimited fans and F1 <laughs> fans. Like, even within these types of games, like, F1 fans don't like Test Drive Unlimited, <laughs> Test Drive Unlimited fans don't like F1, and neither of them like Train Sim. <laughs> Peter, 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 are we talking about, because I've, I've never paid attention to this before, are, are we talking about the more like this bit on Steam? Uh, no, it's when you ah. actually open a game and go to the store page. It's on the right there, where uh, ah. it's uh, you have the uh, little picture of a game and then yonder mm. text. And it's like further down, kind of next to the developer's own description of the game. Oh, right. Okay. Because so, I haven't found that yet. But what I did do was I went to the Akami HD store page and I scrolled down until I found more like this. And do you know what's more like this? Do you know what's like Akami HD according to the more like this? Pathologic. <laughs> I mean, that's a game even less appropriate <laughs> than Mafia 3 and Deadly Premonition. It did recommend Mafia 2 uh, in my list. I had to scroll through to get to Pathologic, I'll admit. Uh, but uh, it's on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that... See, my I had this little devil's advocate voice in my head that was saying, <laughs> "That's the that's the, the the creepy Russian game where the city is gradually turning into poisoned meat." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 possibly the most horrible game ever. That yeah. one. Well, um, I did have this little devil's advocate voice in my head that was saying maybe rather than uh, the algorithm trying to think of things that are actually like that actually resemble Akami or whatever game you're looking at. Maybe it's just going like, okay, well, this person likes games. You know, because when you were saying there's no crossover between fans of this game and that game, I was thinking, well, you, if you've played them all, then you are that crossover. But then I've never played Pathologic. And although I am interested in it intellectually, I've never done anything to Steam or on Steam that would suggest to them that I'm interested. So, in fact, it seems like their algorithms are just nonsense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean... I, I tried to figure out what Valve are doing. <laughs> and I think they... Well, we've all been through that thought process before, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are using the same techniques as Spotify and Netflix. They're just oh. doing a very bad job of it. Because, mm. and I blame it on like, first off, their models are not appropriate for Steam as a platform. And I think it has to do partially with incompetence because the Valve has really poor leadership and are run very poorly. And uh, they're just almost like they're so afraid of human involvement in anything they do. So, like, what music services like Spotify and such do is they use like a combination of uh, just basic, just tagging information of like uh, genres and stuff. And then they use traditional uh, like 
the kind of thing that Amazon does that other people that like this also uh, uh, listen to this as well. So uh, in the terminology, they they call it collaborative filtering, where uh, it tries to match other humans' uh, playlists and stuff. And uh, the other is content-based recommendations. Uh, mm-hmm. which is based on tags and uh, reviews and stuff like that. And Netflix have a very interesting method that they use. And they have in-house staff, like a, a big team of people that watches every single show that shows up on Netflix. Everything they publish, it, someone watches it and goes through and assigns custom tags to the show. And it's not just broad genre stuff, but it's also plot elements. Like, does this show uh, contain a corrupt cop? And then there's like tone stuff. Is this show cerebral? And based on this, uh, what you watch creates like a taste profile for you. And based on what you watched a long time ago and what you watched uh, more recently, the different tags for the shows are given weight. And there's apparently around 2,000 categories of taste profiles that you're put into. So if you're in one of those kind of 2,000 categories, uh, it will show different shows on the front page. And um, I I think this kind of genre tag stuff is very important for how uh, content is categorized. Because with music, like... Spotify has a Discover Weekly playlist that's automated, and they scan like a, kind of billions of playlists that users have made that listen to similar music as you, and then it, it ta- picks music that you haven't heard and puts it mm-hmm. in that playlist, and it apparently works well. And with music, that's interesting. Uh, uh, I mean, with music genres, we know that uh, there are a ridiculous amount of subgenres. And I think this helps Spotify kind of zoom in on what music is actually what. <laughs> it helps it kind of guide people's tastes with more granularity. Because if you try to learn all the names of electronic sub-music genres, um, your information will be out of date in six months and a few hundred more genres will have appeared by then. <laughs> Yeah, because there's I don't know massive nerds trying to categorize all the human uh, endeavor in art in different genres, and I think this is just because there's so much music that this is the only way to talk about different kinds of artists and kind of mm. talk the same language. And with uh, film, this doesn't really exist. So that's why Netflix has an in-house staff that create their own tagging system to. Uh, categorize it shows with as much granularity as possible and with games there aren't enough games for subgenres to really exist to the same extent as with music mm-hmm. and I so yeah. especially since especially since they there's fewer games and they explicitly try to copy one another and and sort of really emulate one another in a quite strong and direct way yeah but music does this too Oh but, yeah, but there's just so much of it. Yeah, and, and that's why we put everything into uh, like ju- subgenres. Whereas with yeah. games, we can, it, it's just normal to say that oh, it has the Arkham City, uh, Arkham Asylum fighting system, 
and it's yeah. uh, Assassin's Creed uh, parkour style climbing around. And it's like, yeah, and those are and those are the sorts of decisions they make when they're developing the game. The difference is that with music, a musician can make a song start to finish in a day if he wants to. Yeah. Um, which you can't do with a game. So there's necessarily a lot fewer of them being made. And across the board, generally, the the people taking risks aren't so much there. There are, there are indie game developers who are taking risks, of course, but there's just fewer of them. Yeah, and we haven't... There isn't, like, in common talking about games, the, the, the need to have a million mm. subgenres. Mm. Like, there's occasionally new genres appear, like the... <laughs> the the infamous genre name walking simulator uh. that's a case of like well we don't know what this is so we'll put this nonsense name of it on it it's like uh, the other I side to to genres comparing music to games is that in music because there is so much music coming out of all over the place all the time um there are lots of genres of music which the layman wouldn't be able to hear the difference between yeah. Um, whereas with games, it has to be quite a significantly different thing to go in a different category, shooter, platformer, and so on. Yeah. And with the kind of content tags for games, I mean, Valve made a decision like to do with almost everything that has to do with Steam. It's like, well, let the community handle it. Yes. So the first thing that happened was, of course, comedy tags. And <laughs> I, I feel like here's... They've abdicated their responsibility in so many ways. Like, in the on the recommendations of games, like other games like this, like this game resembles this and this, that's an idea that I'm in favor of. Just mm -hmm. so when you just glance at a game, like, so you have some idea what to expect. But because they're using only kind of, they're trying to use algorithms and matching with other games on Steam, they're limiting themselves. Like Stardew Valley was inspired by a game that's not on PC. It's not on Steam. So what can you match it up with? And with Cuphead, again, people have said, that, oh, it's like Contra. And it's like, that's not on PC. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. a human being wrote that recommendation, they could just say that, oh, it's like Contra. Mm. <laughs> but again, there would be a, a hesitancy to put that recommendation there, even though it's accurate. Because yeah. it's, oh, it's not on our platform. Yeah, and it's odd that they have abdicated that responsibility because the reason why a lot of companies do it, such as perhaps Amazon, certainly YouTube. YouTube is the best example because no no amount of humans could moderate YouTube. Yeah. There's just there's too much of it. I think I think the last time I even heard the statistic, it was like sixty hours of footage per hour, and that was five, somewhere between five and ten years ago that I heard of that statistic. And um, so you can't. So with YouTube, you have to have algorithms. With Steam, there's only a finite amount of stuff on Steam. There's only so many games, and yeah, there was a glut of games recently. But that was a decision they didn't have to make, and that was largely unpopular. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even like. Netflix has probably many times the amount of content that, that Steam has. Or, like, mm. you could probably count the entirety of, like, all games ever made in, like, probably not even 100,000. Like, okay, maybe over 100,000 if you count every hobby project ever made. <laughs> it doesn't feel like an infeasible project to have people go through it manually. But... 
here we go into Valve's corporate structure and their non-existent <clears throat> leadership. Like, I've read a couple of articles about people who worked at Valve. And, uh-huh. like, many years ago, it was probably, like, 2010 or something, the yep. company manual for Valve came out, and everyone was, like, impressed by it because it said that, oh, we have a flat hierarchy where y- your desk is on wheels and you can move it anywhere yeah. you want and anyone can work on anything they want. People who work there say that, uh, yeah, this hasn't worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was people separated into like cliques in the building yeah. where it has like a high school like atmosphere where there's implicit hierarchies within groups mm. and people aren't allowed to move their desks because people start sneering at you because you're betraying the in-group that you decided to oh. be with when you moved the desk to their to their gang. <laughs> Well, but that, okay, that, I don't think that even speaks to a problem with the, the concept of the movable desk system. That speaks to a problem with who they're hiring. That sounds like they're hiring high school mentality people. I got the impression that this is something that kind of naturally grew out of yeah. there not being clear directions and good leadership or like yeah the, the people this... with authority in the company are kind of randomly skulking the corridors and telling people what to do then they kind of disappear into the shadows <laughs> it makes it all sound a little bit if that's the case it makes it all sound a little bit accidental i've just been thinking recently about how how in in, in what short amount of time because right now as you just said basically we think of steam or rather Valve, as this sort of, like, we don't usually think about the people behind it Mm. because it's such a, it's just a window, it's just an app. It seems to take care of itself or be community, you know, input-led. And this is such a huge turnaround from about, what, five years ago when we thought of them as a leading game developer that was like the Pixar of games. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the article that I read that talked about this was focusing on how kind of open desk how kind of you're supposed to um avoid kind of structuring your offices it talked mm-hmm. about how uh, programmers can't work with a bunch of assholes sitting next to them because what they need is long stretches of hours of like deep yeah. con- unbroken concentration yeah and what valve had happened here because people sneer at you if you try to move your desk away everyone's clustered in like huge rooms without any walls between the desks and there's horrific inefficiencies because uh someone sh- you you show up in the morning you do some programming and then some asshole shows up talking on the phone and it's maybe someone's sick and coughing and it's like it's very distracting constantly broken concentration and like people have like yeah. i don't know a meeting among some desks oh, a bit further God. away and you have to listen to it <laughs> see exactly see the 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 desk situation that you were describing yeah. it reminded me of pixar that's an artist's idea and yeah. that could work for a lot of different forms for, for like lots of different forms of creativity but yeah as i understand it programming is all about like you start and you wait for the moment where the flow comes in and you're just doing it you're just doing it and there's and because it's puzzle solving quite honestly you know perhaps there's a comparison that people like me who can't code 
might be able to draw between coding and playing an addictive game where you're you know what you're going to do three or four moves ahead and if someone and and you're reticent to stop and save the game and go to dinner because you'll forget what you were about to do and then do and then do and then do and yeah i can well imagine that um you know if you're if you're in the middle of some code because in the one sense again you're drawing a comparison from a completely different language to that of coding there's poetry in it that it's it's a an equivalent of like thinking very carefully about the best way to express something you're trying to express and like god i can only imagine what how difficult that must be because you're doing sums in your head as well how that must be if if anyone breaks your concentration even with for a moment with anything you need your own little world that's what programmers need and then the artists and the creatives need something else and if that's the, if they're trying to create a single office environment for all those disparate sorts of workforce people that's never going to work yeah and i think artists as well in certain moments of their work also need that it's oh yeah yeah it's you need to be able to like enter kind of the flow state and yep. stay there for a long time because like you need to keep a lot of things in your mind and this has to do again with like um multitasking and how that's a myth because what happens when you multitask is that you task switch between many different things and there's like a attention residue from like the thing you were doing previously still kind of harms your ability to focus on the next thing i think it's like 40 minutes or something until you're able to focus completely on a thing at full wow. concentration again there was really a, yeah very long time so if you kind of break a programmer who's like it, that's his job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, working in a highly concentrated way like the 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 productivity cost is just horrific. So, yeah, this is... Uh, it almost feels like it's a miracle whenever anything comes out of that company now in a good state. And I think this explains, like, why the Steam client still doesn't support high DPI. <laughs> huh. Like, the websites for Steam does, but if I open the Steam client, it's a blurry mess. Like huh. even iTunes supports high DPI on Windows. It took them years to add that support, but they did it like earlier oh. this year. And like, oh, hell is frozen over. iTunes added high DPI before Steam, and they still haven't done it. <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder. I, I think I started saying this before, and then I drifted off. It makes me wonder how much of what Valve do over the years that we wonder about is even deliberate. Like and and their successes, their failures, like the fact that they've stopped making games, and they seem to do that clandestinely and gradually and quietly. And we all kind of went, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've been assuming that that was a decision they made that they gradually faded in in the hope that we wouldn't notice. But it makes me wonder if they really were trying to make Half Life Three this whole time, and just everyone kept scooting their desks around, nothing got done. Yeah, and I wonder if they're still working with on the premise of like. Oh, if you're bored by this project, just move your desk. Is this yeah. why yeah. they relied on the community to translate the Steam client to multiple languages? Because nobody yeah. liked the idea of doing that. And that it's the same reason why they don't have any human crea curation, because nobody can be bothered to do it, so it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, or, or they'll start. Because like, we all know that even something that you find tremendously fun... Um, 
you know, I, I'm writing this novel right now and I love it, but I have to be, I have to beat myself into working on it every day. <laughs> I have to like, you know, hey, but we all have ways of starting our, our job, you know, our work day. But yeah, you know, I have to really force myself. And if you, if I have that freedom to just scoot from one thing to another, which I, I kind of do, it's detrimental to any project, even one that you're passionate about. Because as soon as a problem comes up, you're like, I'm just going to scoot over there while I think about it. And of course, then you're over there. You're not thinking about it anymore. You're just doing something else. And yeah, no, that's, I suppose we don't know the exact ins and outs of how this works, but that wouldn't work. Yeah. And that's why there's so many blatant, kind of almost confusing, like bad uh, ideas, like mm. how they, there's like even earlier this year, you could go to like translate.steam.com and it was like, oh, our, here's what our community has done to translate the Steam client to French and German. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You're like, Gabe Newell is a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any day he wants, he could hire one person even to like translate everything and it would take them a while yeah. for just the client. That could feasibly be done by a single person with a wage and a certain amount of time to do it. Not all of the stuff, not all of the game descriptions and stuff, but the, you know, the main client stuff. Uh, why not? Why not? Why isn't what's yeah. I, I do I, I do understand the how how it would be um I can understand how it would feel good to create a platform that basically makes itself run. Yeah. I get that. But until you've done that and you're a billionaire, hire people. Get it get yeah anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose uh, he has hired people, that's not the problem. It's the it's the structure. Yeah. And you know, bad leadership and the whole thing just seems yeah. very chaotic. And it sounds exactly like what you would expect. Yeah. If a few sort of, you know, Silicon Valley nerdy dreamers had a cool idea and made a company and went, Oh, it's gonna be great, we're gonna have a it, it'll be a constant party, we're gonna have a good time and then never quite seemed to change that. Which is a shame because I'd love I'd love it if things did work that way. Wouldn't it be nice to work in an environment where if you happen not to be one of the people who needed that quiet and that workflow to be able to scoot around and have a nice time and have friends and work on whatever project you want. It, do, it does sound like the dream, um, but there's always got to be a, one of the, the reason I brought up Pixar is that I remember watching all these DVDs about how their offices are set up and how they work. And it's this sort of environment, but of course it isn't really, you know, I've seen there's a, there was a special feature about this big paper airplane competition that they had and it made it look all impromptu and fun and like, yeah, we just do crazy things here. But no, of course they had, this was at the end of a working day and they have deadlines and this was scheduled in and they knew about it weeks in advance to design their paper planes and they get their films done on time usually. And so there is structure there. It's just that, I don't know, either, either completely for show for DVD extras or with a with a certain amount of management and clever, cleverness, this this slightly more fun, well, much more fun environment than you know just working in a call center or something has been created. But it, it doesn't mean a total free for all, and it doesn't seem to be working. Well, hang on, I was going to say it doesn't seem to be working for Valve, but perhaps I need to dial back because of I mean, Valve aren't going to mind the way their business is going, are they? They're market leaders, they're dominant, they're a monopoly. They're fine, so maybe it is working. It, yeah, I guess it is. I'm just annoyed that it's so... The faults 
in Steam are yeah. so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and n- nothing visibly is happening to fix it. It's like Steam client update after Steam client update. It's like, oh, still no high DPI support. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what do those updates do? Do you know? Ugh. I mean, they, they have, they're working on a bunch of stupid VR stuff. Uh, it's like, who gives a shit? Oh, oh, it's a fun science project for your team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like 500 people. That'll be really exciting. <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who can afford a VR headset works at Valve anyway. Yeah. Now they're giving them for free. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, they're apparently working on revamping the Steam curator and uh, recommendation algorithm. So, of course they are. Yeah, because this that doesn't is mean like, anything. This, That's always going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a laughable system they have now, and especially the curator system. They added that as one th- aspect of like, okay, you want human crea- curation? Here's something, and it was. Uh, difficult to understand how to even be become a curator you have to have a group and then it was heavily heavily tilted and skewed in certain directions and a lot of people don't use it and they, the general interface is kind of slow like using steam it's kind of sluggish and unreliable i sometimes have to click twice to open any kind of web based thing like the community pages it, uh, it doesn't take long for you to scroll through and it starts shugging and sometimes it fails to load and you have to reload or or steam is just down so they they have a lot of work to do on the client but is it is that work sexy enough for anyone to want to do it <laughs> <laughs> well there we are yeah so it can't be ju- it can't be as free as that but surely no. that must be an exaggeration yeah i mean Otherwise, it would be like astonishing <laughs> if it was like that. <laughs> but you know, to some extent, that's how they started out, and I'm sure they must have some people who go around kind of beating people into doing what, the stuff nobody wants to do. But uh, I, it's totally believable the whole inefficient productivity environment they have, and that's yeah. that's a thing that annoyed people about the new Apple campus because they also you know showed pictures of it and it was like oh totally open offices without walls and it's like yeah probably like a product designer came up with that and programmers like I hate it <laughs> yeah. it's probably for the best of the company if they course correct <laughs> because uh, otherwise their productivity is gonna go in the toilet and all their products are gonna be even more delayed than they are now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's apparently not easy to run a uh, enormously successful company kind of coasting on success where you don't really have to do anything, but you're doing it anyway because it would be bizarre if you aren't having your hundreds of workers doing something. Yeah. <laughs> God, isn't it strange that they don't seem to be making games anymore? I can't yeah. I can imagine I can totally imagine businessmen going, brilliant, our product has evolved past the point where we have to make uh, video games anymore. Like, I can, I would hate it, but I can imagine if Disney stopped making animated films. I could get it because they'd be like, yeah, we've got this part. But they keep making the films because it's what they're known for and it's what fuels the parks and so on. Like, it's what funnels people in them. Makes sense. I get why businessmen would stop making games at Valve. What I don't get is why 
the businessmen in charge of a company like Valve would stop making games because that's like the animators at Disney stopping making animated films. It's like that's as far as I know, Gabe and like who like the people who started up Valve. They they're not just pure businessmen. Surely they must have wanted to make games. They must be into games. Yeah, I mean they started as a pure games company, <laughs> and and they rose to be possible unless I'm like unless I'm forgetting anyone possibly the like the best regarded one on pc why would you just stop yeah it seems to have happened organically and a lot of people have only you know recently like this year started leaving the company because it's like well i'm a writer last writing project here was five years ago (laughs) gonna go do something else bye (laughs) yeah I i saw someone on my twitter feed just like yesterday saying that they'd forgotten how good uh, portal 2 was and how yeah. it was just honestly one of the better games ever and we're not gonna get anything like it again they've just stopped yeah uh, yeah that was, that was 2011 <laughs> yeah yeah and they stopped at their height what was the last game what what what, what did they make since that uh I can't remember when Left 4 Dead 2 came out, but that was kind of around that time. Yeah. And then we got like Dota 2, and that's still around. Yeah. And then they, I can't remember when like Counter-Strike, the latest one, came out, but it was also, I guess, around that time. And ever since then, it's far as I can See, tell, though, the games that See, the games that you've just listed there, they're the kind of games that I'm not interested in, but, you know, what does that matter? But yeah. they're all the kind of games that... They almost feel like extensions of the concept of Steam as much as they do games. They're like, mm. here is a thing that needs a central sort of funnel through which various gamers are processed uh, to play with one another. Do you know what I mean? They're almost adverts for and and like things that necessitate the existence of a Steam rather than something like a Half-Life or a Portal, which is just just a game. Just a game. Yeah, uh, as, if I remember correctly, Steam was created as basically an auto-update service for Counter-Strike. <laughs> and then they add, it had like a military camo theme. <laughs> and then they put like Half-Life 2 on it. <laughs> yeah. That was the first time like everyone was forced to go on it and... I was like the the only game people had like okay I got Half Life two and I get Counter Strike now oh great <laughs> and then they started selling more stuff and just building on it integrating new stuff and that's just it's a completely different category of game uh, Counter Strike and Dota compared to yeah. Portal and Half Life and yeah it's just mysterious that nobody seems to want to make like they don't have to make those franchise games they can make a new one. Oh yeah. But, oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I'm not suggesting that the the problem here is that they haven't made Portal Three or Half Life Three, but it's just that they seem to have stopped trying at all. Yeah, the problem is yeah that they don't do anything. <laughs> just wondering why <laughs> they haven't said why. Yeah, they haven't formally announced the death of their games <laughs> divisions yet. It's like we're yeah. They haven't done like Konami, who just outright said it. Yeah, we're just making gambling things now. Mm. Anyway, so uh, this was all inspired by me finding the recommendations on the Okami HD page. Offensively stupid. (laughs) It's like, fine, recommend games to me for all the wrong reasons. But they exposed to me 
just how wrong the reason for the recommendation was. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, no, I, I no, come on, Val. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does better than this. <laughs> Not now, that, yeah. There's a there's another side to this whole algorithm thing, which I was thinking about a couple of days ago. You know, on YouTube, when you, uh, you know, how you, if you watch one video, it can kind of ruin your recommends for a while. Yeah. I watched um, a video by um, a chap called Sean, uh, the one who's got like a, a sort of a cartoon skull for his avatar, and he he makes fun of cinema sins and things like that. And uh, on this occasion, he uh, did a video. Um, which was a response to something the amazing atheist remember him uh, oh, yeah. had said and as soon as i'd watched that it then recommended amazing atheist videos to me and um you know because that was part of the topic that was all being talked about and so the algorithm thought that that was what i wanted and it got me thinking what if you know how we've seen this proliferation of strange and silly ideas over the over the last sort of 5 to 10 years what if some of it is because of these algorithms? I mean, imagine this, for example. You're a, just a, a person who's open to ideas. You're a suggestible person or whatever, just a person. And you you happen to be on YouTube, and for whatever random reason, you happen to stumble upon a video about maybe even making fun, maybe a, maybe a, a, you know, a, a random episode of Extra Credits that's like, here's a random thing that some people think about, or whatever, just, just something. And it happens to be about the fact that there are still people in the world who think that the Earth is flat. And what if your recommends then started being flat earther videos and you watched one just for whatever you were like, really, I wonder what they think about this. And you watch that. And then your recommends were full of flat earther videos. And it made me wonder what percentage of people who have unusual views and beliefs and are in, in groups like that, it's because gradually your world and your view on the world can be changed by these algorithms because i can well imagine that if i opened up youtube one day i mean for example i have in the past been fooled into thinking that most people my age and this was when i was you know 20 something mainly care about video game stuff you know and i think this is where the like you know the the hardcore gamer crowd and the ethics in video games crowd and so on can come from because if you if if everything you are being shown in your window to the world that is your browser is from one particular group you can think they are the majority if all of the videos on youtube are not just like flat earther videos but like the different arguing factions that presumably exist within flat earthers you're going to start to think well clearly everyone thinks this and then there's some outliers who are like well we have evidence that it isn't flat and I wonder to what extent people can be led down odd garden paths into these extremist groups and, and sort of odd belief groups purely by algorithms that no one set out to, to drag them along by. No one said, no, you know, YouTube never went, let's create some flat earthers and conspiracy theorists and things like that. But the algorithms have the capacity to change our minds like that. Well, the idea behind many of these is that to show you more stuff like the kind of stuff you enjoy. Yeah. So, and that's a good idea. Like, yeah. and 
if someone just enjoys watching flat earth videos then it's like yeah <laughs> give you everything you you could possibly want here yeah but another e explanation i heard this week for yeah why we've had an explosion of uh, kind of rampant idiocy racism and whatever is that that kind of stuff kind of tends to that animosity tends to bubble to the surface once people have it bad and yes. all this stuff in the 90s and early 2000s people thought that well thank god that's over then we mm. had the 2008 economic crash yeah and i think like i don't know 90% of the jobs that were replaced there were like part time jobs <laughs> <laughs> and now everyone yeah. is, a, is a much worse in, is in a much worse uh, position than they were before. So, like across the board, everyone is just living with more misery. They aren't uh, well off and comfortable the way they used to be. Everyone's yeah. a, a bit more on edge for just their basic existence in a way that they weren't before. Mm -hmm. And uh, all this kind of stuff bubbling below the surface that nobody cared about before uh kind of has come bursting forth again all the old animosities yeah so. yeah i can't now remember what it was you just said that reminded me of this but it but you said something that's reminded me of something that's relevant to this show because we've mm. talked about it together before do you remember well you will remember when um, a few weeks ago, we went through a little phase of constantly bringing up the uh, the little prediction that the moment at which we're going to have, just for the survival of the species, oh, that's right, it was the it was the loss of jobs, for the survival of the species, we are going to have within our lifetime to switch to a sort of Star Trek post money civilization, and we decided that that moment was the day that Google or someone like them brought out the self-driving long-distance haulage truck because truck driving is the single highest employer in America. Yeah! And well, this they week. have. <laughs> this is out next year. Tesla have announced the first all-electric semi-trailer truck. It is um, It's designed to go 500 miles on a single charge. It is a self-driver. Well, it says it's equipped with Tesla's semi-autonomous driving system that will assist drivers and allow the trucks to travel autonomously in co convoys with the company's other big rigs. Now, this isn't a fully self-driving car of the Google sort, but of course, it will immediately be followed by one that is. Yeah, uh, the, the regulation and technology aren't quite there yet for it to be fully autonomous, but this is a feature that's been in current Tesla cars and that's been upgraded with software over time so it's kind of become right. more and more autonomous so you can i don't know nod off on the freeway <laughs> and just have it drive by itself well quite and um iron spike on twitter who's a, a cartoonist and sort of person who talks about interesting things um said that the the sort of the real kind of the real sort of story here that is gets a little bit buried perhaps in the story is that this thing when it said the, when it said that they will be able to travel autonomously in convoys with companies other big rigs what this means is one driver can run a line of these things the equivalent of you know we don't know how many it just says convoys that could be 20 50 we don't know how many that is yeah lorries or trucks driving 
in single file behind one another controlled by a single driver down the highway um this is the end of jobs <laughs> yeah and it only helps that the trucks look cool and there's yep. so many features on it and i've seen to like oh yeah that makes perfect sense like yeah. why and yeah why wouldn't a truck be like this <laughs> and i say i don't say this in a fully depressing sort of sort of way i am excited by and in favor of the idea of the self-driving car they are plainly a better idea than these idiots us driving ourselves around right but it has to come hand in hand with an end to the capitalist model we currently have and that's that is not going to happen at the same time and i'm worried that there's going to be you know there's going to be a number of years between the introduction of total autonomy of of stuff that previously needed human interaction to to run them and the point at which we realize okay the system of people who don't happen to be employed being like treated as base fourth fifth class citizens who don't deserve to live that already needs to have ended but it hasn't and it's still there and it's just going to reach a massive crisis point very soon after the introduction of this particular machine like i can honestly see people rising up against this machine (laughs) (laughs) unless we someone goes right now we need a new model now we need to have we need to move if we've got robots creating the world that the that the employers want to have as much money as they possibly can it is at that point that they need to be responsible for honestly paying into a pool so that there's a kind of universal uh, supportive money that we all have um because if we don't need people to work then we shouldn't make them there should there should you know that's the point at which we need to go okay everyone gets to be happy everyone gets to live yeah and people a lot of people got depending on personal temperament to some extent yeah. but a lot of people just need some kind of direction something to yes. do um, just to be healthy even Yes. And not like you know, wallow at home. And a lot of our current education is based on creating factory workers that don't think too much. <laughs> like I, I remember even back to high school and like gymnasium time, where like I remember certain key moments where it's like, oh, I show too much creativity here, so they stamped it out of me. And it took oh, really? many, many years for me to bring back uh, the the idea that, oh, yeah, I actually can do this, even though they told me I can't. God, so, tell me a couple of them. What? What happened? Um, being actively discouraged to uh, draw and, uh, like, write. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, that... uh, because we don't do that here. God. Okay. <laughs> that didn't happen to me. And if it did, I willfully ignored it and carried on. <laughs> Yeah, and I just took it as, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I get going, come out of there with the idea, of, okay, they didn't give me any actual direction or anything I could do, but they did discourage me from every, anything mm. I, I felt passionate about. Uh, yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> See, we didn't, we, we didn't have the, that the way you're describing, but what we did have, and what I've, I've always sort of resented, is this system that does encourage you to be creative up until exactly the age of 11 at which point you move to big school and more or less that's the point at which they don't 
tell yeah i don't remember being told not to draw and write and things like that because i always did but there was no longer any opportunity to do that within a school setting mm. as an encouraged thing including weirdly in art class um uh, uh, we had art classes but it was something you um you revolved into it came under the the general umbrella of design which included cookery uh sewing and stuff woodwork and then art and you basically were in one of those for a module for several weeks and then you moved into the next one and then the next one you know what i mean so it rotated the different the different classes rotated those subjects when we had on the timetable design um and so oddly enough the art class was all about like presumably teaching us or, or or having us go through new forms of art that we hadn't tried before there was no like oh you you've all you you can all draw because you went to primary school where that's one of the main things you do let's get good at that instead it was like okay now let's tear up some pieces of paper so that they're a color collage and it's like let's not what's the point of that <laughs> um <laughs> and so yeah there was suddenly no school based environment in which to do any of those things and yes i did find it very odd that this just suddenly went away just as i was getting good at it just as i was becoming genuinely very interested in it and i have found myself floundering you know even doing it even though i'm you know these days occasionally paid to do it yeah because it's like what is that it's like a little thing that they've kind of bred out of us yeah and there are so many kind of important key things in like the current economy that you don't learn like mm. say you have a hobby and you want to create a business of that and yeah. anything you do like you have a hobby of uh, creating desks you do you make speakers in the garage you do anything carvings any kind of art stuff and you want to put that online and sell it yep why don't you learn that in school <laughs> yeah yeah well well well, I mean, in our day, it wasn't a thing. So yep. maybe they do now. I don't know. But I, somehow... No, I, I, I don't think the curriculum has a course corrected fast enough to current no. realities. But if we're in the new world where you can't just coast into a line of work anymore. Yeah. Where it's like, well, there's no low paying jobs anymore because uh, uh, any kind of mindless drone-like job is gone it's either overseas or automated <laughs> yeah the yeah it, it it is odd thinking back like what school was what were they getting me ready for i don't know they were they were you know i came out of it with some stuff in my brain and lots of stuff that hadn't gone in and like i don't know what sort of job any of it was pointing me towards it's odd isn't it yeah I was like, what is the utility of this in my life in any way? <laughs> okay, you taught me basic principles of like, okay, you're supposed to do homework and read boring books and do maybe a presentation in front of class. It's like, yeah, I remember anything I learned and doing <laughs> presentation in front of class is something I haven't had to do since. <laughs> mm. I'm going to talk uh, about fun now because ah! that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I have had a nice little week because as you know, my graphics card died. Oh. And uh, I not usually the start of a nice week when a part of your computer breaks, but well it didn't die, it just started making horrible noises, so I replaced it. And uh 
since then, I've been wondering what to do with it because I, I, I installed it. It worked perfectly. And then I'm look. there was a little hiccup, but I've fixed it. And now I'm looking at my games that I own and I'm going, okay, what do I own that will be improved by this? And the answer is more or less nothing um, because <laughs> all my games are like retro or old and I haven't bought any full price games in years because I know no way I'm not paying 40 quid for a game and uh, so I've, I've mainly got old stuff but I settled on two which even though they ran well like perfectly well and I felt comfortable playing them and it never occurred to me that my card was having any trouble I wondered if these two games subtly were you know how a game can run fine but it, but if it doesn't run perfectly, there's some subtle thing in your head that doesn't feel right, and you don't fully sink into it and have fun. Yeah. And there are two games like that recently that I suspected that might be happening with, even though they aren't particularly challenging games graphics-wise. One of them was Shadow of Mordor, not not the new one, the the first one. Yeah. And the other was Rayman Legends, because. Oh. I had started playing that and I hadn't enjoyed it as much as Rayman Origins, even though everyone says it's good. So I'm like, maybe this wasn't running at full tilt and I was just feeling some kind of sluggishness from it. Well, I'm happy to say that in both cases, there is a certain amount of yes there. I have in, they, they are both more fun. Maybe it's a placebo effect, but they seem to both run more smoothly in an almost undetectable way, but that just feels better now. But... In playing them again, I have now remembered what it was that pushed me out of both games. And it's actually the same thing. And this time I'm determined to push through it. And what it is, is that both games should be simple. Rayman Legends should be a fast platformer with sort of, you know, you learn the route and you, if you manage to twitch and, and do it in time, then you feel good. And Shadow of Mordor is basically Arkham fighting with more or less nothing else getting in the way. <laughs> yeah. Those... Right? That's what those two games are. But both games have this ridiculous learning cliff at the start where as soon as you start, they just barrage you with pop-ups telling you that stuff is available for you now to the point where it's genuinely difficult in both cases to figure out what I'm meant to do yeah. and what the game is. This is something um, that bugs me in other games too. Like... This is yeah. my main problem with like Forza Horizon 3. It's like open world racing game where it's like it isn't it won't leave you alone. Yeah. Like it's so annoying. It's like on a timer it's like I don't know every 15 seconds it's like oh press this button to activate a waypoint to this nearby thing that's Yeah. Like, okay, is it important? No. <laughs> Yeah, and, and they interrupt what you're doing. Yeah. So, like, there I am in Shadow of Mordor. I've, I've finally figured out something I want to do. There's a little point on the map. I'm heading towards it. And on the way there, it will pop up information telling me there's a new target available. There's a skirmish available. There's a survival challenge. There's a hunting challenge. A creature you're hunting is nearby. There's ambushes. There's artifacts. There's all this stuff just keeps coming up and telling me it's available. Rayman Legends... If I manage to figure out what door to go through, because there's about a million doors leading into a million corridors, if I figure out where a level is, because in Rayman Origins, sorry, I think I said Origins, I mean Legends, in Origins, you had a Mario 3-style map. You went along from level to level and you played the level. 
in this there's just these galleries you jump into paintings they lead to other galleries of paintings there's little doors to go through there's stuff everywhere and as you go whenever you do finally track down a level to play and you try that lucky tickets pop up daily challenges pop up there's a football thing there's random loot chests there's unlockable creature i don't even know what that is it told me that yesterday you've unlocked a creature there was a picture of a creature do you want to go and see it oh, all right i don't know how i unlocked it i went there there was all these tables that said like the ghosts the robots the pigs no, none of them were the thing that i unlocked the creature that popped up that turned out to just be a generic representation of creatures <laughs> I have no idea what is going on in this flipping game. It's worse than Shadow of Mordor. At least in Shadow of Mordor, I more or less know that everything it pops up is going to lead to some orcs who I will fight with my sword Arkham style. Rayman Legends is an absolute just mess of just information. I have no idea what's going on. And this is the stuff that pushed me out of... It's pushed me out of a lot of games. Or Going all the way back, I think the first time I noticed it, funnily enough was worms world party <laughs> which was in the 90s and this was like it came just after worms armageddon which was like still held up as sort of the best of the modern worms yeah and which was I'm, what 1997 8 i'm not surprised that worms would be a franchise that would suffer from this because yeah. they released so many of them they would yeah. just add more and more crap to it well yeah worms world party was that it was basically worms are it turns out worms world party was something along the lines of a special edition release of worms armageddon it was more or less the exact same game mm. but now it had online features well the thing is worms armageddon had online features i remember playing it online but uh, maybe i'm wrong about that but i think it did but worms world party was like like imagine too much information and not enough explanation about w what online stuff you can do and that, again sort of challenges and so on i still don't know what was in it because i couldn't figure it out and i played it maybe once maybe twice and i paid full price for it put the disc in played it never never played it again because it was it was exactly and that's weird because it was exactly the game that i had up until that moment enjoyed and to the point of wanting to buy a new version of it and it just didn't make any sense to me and it's because of this overload of information which turns out to me i'm determined to press through it with both Mordor and particularly Rayman Legends, um, because they're both fun when you're actually able to play them, but it just keeps interrupting. Yeah, and this is, I think, a challenge whenever a developer makes a game with a lot of stuff in it. Mm. You really have to manage the player's attention, not overload them, and make all the extra stuff almost like a pleasant surprise make it yeah. seem deceptively yes. simple yes. this is something like the yakuza games do a fairly good job of because yeah it's like it's there's so much stuff in them but none of it is marked on the map <laughs> there's only one waypoint marker and that's the next story mission everything else just you kind of stumble on it on the way why couldn't shadow of mordor have been like that yeah and I never remember ever feeling this during the wonderful Sleeping Dogs. Which oh, yeah. <laughs> was an open world game with tons of different stuff you could do. Never once did I feel overwhelmed or overloaded with information. And, of course, Witcher 3. A game which is so full of stuff that you can get all the way through the game without figuring out some of the stuff that's in it. And then you can try it. And that's fine. Like Gwent doesn't matter some to some people witcher 3 is a game about 
getting cards so you can play Gwent. To me, I never played it, never bothered with it. It doesn't matter. It's fine not to do the stuff, and you're not too interrupted. Yeah, I feel. I think it's a um, tricky balance fine-tuning this kind of stuff. Yes. Like uh, Ubisoft, kind of bad at it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they love their kind of presentation style. This has infected many of their games, and I think this is what they tried to copy with Shadow of Mordor. Because I remember playing the beta version of the racing game The Crew, which has like an Assassin's Creed style open world thing. Also like Far Cry, Far Cry 3. That also they also added that kind of on a timer, you get kind of a noise. It's like Boosh, you can go to this place and get some collectibles. It's like who cares? So that's how it works. It's on a timer, is it? Yeah. Huh. Uh, I think it tries to. Uh, count like okay you've had this many seconds w- without anything happening because mm. apparently just taking in the world doesn't count you have to have yeah. something exploding on screen this feels well, like- this is the thing the, the way that the way that the witcher devs dealt with this is by they, they say this in the documentary don't they they yeah. tried to make it so that in whatever direction you go there'll be something to look at or to discover about 30 seconds down the road from wherever you happen to be. Do that, by all means, that's fine. Yeah, but... Because you found that. Yeah, it's all about the presentation with the the Shadow of Mordor stuff. It feels like they've kind of pushed in your face, where it's Mm. like, oh, you're not walking to the place that's 30 seconds away from you, so we need to tell you about it so you go there and do the thing we want you to do. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a terminology problem. It's the fact that they keep saying, like, a skirmish is available. So, So... like yeah. if I don't if I don't know what that is, but a way to make me interested is that if I happen to like if it said like oh you can hear some orcs talking press the trigger to listen and you listen and they go like we're about to have a skirmish then you could go like oh cool I'm going to intercede but the fact that it tells you ahead of time do you know they they have a problem with their whole interface idea and of course the current the sequel is. It is riddled with problems to do with like I haven't even followed it, but it's like the equivalent of loot crates, right? They're doing yeah. something like that, and it's causing some it's causing some problems. But even as far back as the first game, they're like, it's the difference between creating a believable world, which they've done, or at least or at least an inhabitable place that you feel fine walking about in, and then dropping onto that game stuff that doesn't belong and clashes with that. Mm. For example, the biggest one I've found so far is. I don't think this was available last time I played it. I think they must have patched it in. Um, I seem to have some DLC now where I can skin. That sound is gross, but like I can change the skins of the main player character. So he can have, you know, different coats or whatever. Or I can play as a woman. And that was interesting. So I switched to that. And in no way have they lifted a finger to integrate this into the game. To the extent that... She has the man's voice still. <laughs> Everyone calls her a man. Everyone's like, oh, a man. And they and it's weird how I'd, I'd never really noticed it before. But like by playing as a, a re, uh, just by reskinning your man to be a woman in a fairly generic sort of boysy, warry game, it really throws to light how gendered everything is. They're always talking about brotherhoods and stuff like this. It's it's it's. Really, it really stands out how much they call her a man. Yeah, uh, this is 
something that stood out to me. I played Saints Row 2 as a female character, and that's mm-hmm. a game where I don't think most of the animations were like motion captured properly for um, like women and male characters. And right. the script is exactly the same, except a woman reads it out. That made the main character feel very different, very yeah. kind of assertive, took no shit, kind of silent and brooding because hey, that's mm-hmm. a masculine rage inter- kept internally and the character is very violent, beating people up and executing them. <laughs> and there's like kind of brutal action scenes later on. And it's like, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the kind of the dissonance it created because it was a story not written for a female character, but if you just gender swapped it, it was so obvious, but it was also very interesting because of it. <laughs> yeah, I did the same. Uh, the only Saints Row that I've played so far is, I think, three. And I played as uh, Big Bertha from the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I made as close to her as I possibly could. And yeah, the, the, the result was I did create this extremely powerful mob boss woman. And it, it did make a very interesting character. But by the way, uh, because I've been updating my website and going through all my articles and reviews, I, yeah. I was reminded of that. Yeah, Saints Row 3, it's the worst one. I haven't yeah. played Saints Row 1, but 4 is fantastic. 3, I'm at 2, was also very good, but looks like shit. Yeah. But well, I, I'll be playing. I'll, I'll, I really playing enjoyed 2 anyway. I do have four. I've just never really got around to it. Yeah. But um, the worst moment in Shadow of Mordor, though, is whenever there's any cutscene, which is often, they are pre-rendered and feature the man. So she just becomes someone else, interacts with, you know, Gollum or whatever, and then it's back to her again. And of course, suddenly the frame rate goes up by about three times and everything becomes really clear and lovely. <laughs> It's yeah. odd that they do pre-rendered cutscenes and they don't use that opportunity to make it look the best the game can. Yeah, the, the pre-rendered cutscenes like just look worse, and in many Much times worse. it's like it's a very short cutscene where it's supposed to look seamless like the game, or so it clearly just yeah. takes place where you were. The yep. main character like sneaks up behind an orc, and then they say like a few lines, and then you're back into the game again for the mission, yep. and it always looked horrible. And yeah. it didn't help that the game is like, I don't know, 40 gigs large or something because 90% of it is these videos. <laughs> yeah. And that's most of my gaming news this week, except one. Mm. I have finished The Witcher 3, Peter. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Look at your little face. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Isn't it? We've reached a new era. I mean, all right, I haven't started the DLCs yet, so I've got a long way yet to go. But yeah, it's so interesting what a new video card has added to The Witcher because I actually was expecting that what I would do is I would go into my graphics, I would switch everything up to maximum because, of course, I'd, I'd reduced it so that it would run at a good frame rate. Hmm. What I discovered is that I'd actually found such a good balance that basically everything was already on Ultra except the shadows or something. So there's not that much graphical difference. But it doesn't even look like it's running at much of a higher frame rate. Like, I really had balanced it, the settings really nicely. Mm. I've switched a couple of things on now, so there's better anti-aliasing, stuff like that. But just the fact that it, again, the subtle difference of it never, like, 
it never slowed down to a crawl but for instance if i really wanged the camera around that would go like frame 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 and rather than a smooth movement and because it's not doing that there's just something so much more immersive now Mm. so it doesn't look that much different it just but it does it looks so much different because now it's not i don't know now it just it's comfortable it's native it's happy doing it yeah it's still it it still seems to be quite a uh uh either a graphically intensive or dare i say (laughs) not very well optimized uh game because my my card still makes a hell of a noise it's not a silent card but no other game makes it sing you know this thing is is kind of going like oh when it plays the witcher luckily i i play with the headphones on so i don't notice but um but it looks great now and yeah i just basically finished the game moments after installing the new card (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's oh i was quite near the end anyway but i know you know maybe that's to do with it i just was suddenly engrossed yeah wow yeah witcher 3 is pretty good it's, I can now say, which I've never, I've never, I've tried to steer clear of making proclamations of this sort over the last couple of years, but I can now say that The Witcher 3 <laughs> is a very good game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so good, in fact, after I finished it, and even now with hindsight, I can, yep. I, I mean, I feel good whenever I play a new game and I say that I can feel, I feel like, yeah, this is the best that genre has ever seen. Like the, yeah. a, a, all the other classics are basically obsoleted. They someone made something just better than everything else that's come before. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if if you think back to Dragon Age, mm. like, eh. I refuse to think back to Dragon Age. Yeah. <laughs> the Witcher is what that was aiming for, and The Witcher beat it, and it beat it at the same time. Like it's not like it came out four years later or something. It came out more or less the same time, and it beat it a lot. It's it's everything those games sh- should have been. Yeah, there's so many great scenes in Witcher Three that stand out. That like not even fantasy novels and books even do this kind of stuff. Like after the Kermoran siege, the snowball fight that you have after. Oh my god! Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's not without it, it has glitches and so on. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think that I had some sort of glitch in that scene. I can't remember what it was now. Mm. The biggest one is that when I was fighting the last boss, I had I'm not gonna no spoilers. I'm not gonna say anything, but I had uh, just then, basically just before that fight, decided I'm gonna dig into some of the systems that I was talking about a minute ago that I haven't dug into yet because I'm near the end of the game and it's my last chance. I had another go on Gwent. It's a good game. Didn't get into it, but it's good. And then I realized that I can go into my alchemy menu and really, really look into it and really start mixing some decoctions. I'd never tried decoctions before. Didn't realize what the point of them was, but some of them have really good, they really affect like the way the game works. They take up all your toxicity, but it's fine. And they can give you some really good benefits. So I, I, I basically just mixed a load of them. And when I got to the last boss, I'm like, right, it is decoction time. So I threw open my... As soon as he was there, I threw open the menu. I tried a decoction that, you know, increased my hit power or something or maybe regained vitality every time I hit someone, something like that. Unpaused it. And I had broken the end boss. Not by taking a potion that made me overpowered. Literally, he just stood still and didn't (laughs) attack me or do anything. And I was allowed to hit him. And I went up there and I was hitting him with the sword and he was just standing there. 
there were like explosion sound effects as if he was doing something to me. I could hear what I now know to be the approach of other things that you have to fight during that, and but they weren't there. He was just stood there, maybe with his arm out in a pose, and I was just able to hit him with a sword. Now, I am a, I am a man of honor, so of course I reloaded my save and fought him properly. Mm. But uh, yeah, that's that's a big glitch. <laughs> yeah, and they've had a few years to patch it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every time I ride the horse... Even if I'm locked onto a so supposedly locked onto a path by double clicking it and and running along, uh, she will run into a tree and just stay stuck in place until I do some complicated maneuvering. So it ain't perfect, oh. but I wasn't asking for perfect. I was asking for the best application of both open world and RPG quests, and this is both of those the best I've ever seen yeah it's only it's only yakuza that comes close in the in the quests and i don't think anything comes close in terms of the open world and use of it no and, and how much you inhabit it and enjoy being there yeah i mean it's it's so far ahead it's like yeah. it's not a small margin but yeah. this game is better than everything else <laughs> yeah yeah and there's so many i now know that now that i know what you can do with those mutagens that you pick up from monsters you kill. Now I know that you can alchemist them into bigger mutagens, turn them into, uh, you know, you can upgrade yourself in different ways. Now that I've looked through the the upgrades tree, it really is customizable to be played in so many ways that, like, my Witcher 3 and someone else's Witcher 3 really are going to be completely different. Someone else is going to spend the whole game consuming potions that make stuff happen in the world and playing it that way. I played the game doing cool moves with a sword and playing it that way. And there's so many different ways of approaching it that that like quite disparate gamers who are fans of different stuff can enjoy it. For instance, fans of Mafia 3, fans of Okami HD, they were all really completely different fans of different games. Might find something to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Even fans of Pathologic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They might enjoy all the misery in the game. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sure we'll still talk about The Witcher 3 on a near weekly basis, even we though... We absolutely will. I have both the DLCs to work my way through. I haven't even figured out, like, whether I'm supposed to, like, finish the game and continue on my save and play them or load them up as separate entities or what, but we'll see. I think you can just continue on uh, the, the, the end game save uh, yeah. because, you know, it dumps you back in the world. And they're yeah. kind of self-contained stories that don't involve the um the main plot in any way they just right they're like self-contained like witcher books almost like and i felt like both of them both kind of have everything that a witcher story contains it's like it hits on everything that makes a witcher story a witcher story (laughs) particularly the first dlc that's the shorter one it's yeah. like nine hours or something. And like, it just has everything in it in a compressed space. And it, it's such a impressive story, like thematically, like the level of ambition. It shows that, no, nothing in Witcher 3 was actually an accident. They, they yeah. didn't know what they were doing all along. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. That's, yeah. I start that maybe this afternoon. Yeah. Anyway. You're supposed to go and get a flu shot. I am. Yes, I am a sufferer of a chronic disease. And even that comes with perks. And in this particular case, it's that I get free flu jabs every year. Yeah. 
<sighs> and I'm gonna, I guess, take a nap or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I have in my notes Justice League. Oh, but it's such like, oh, who cares? Yeah. I mean, have, have you seen it? No, I'm not gonna well, watch it. But you know, uh, stuff I heard about it, like yeah. uh, Warner Brothers executives were on set during the filming to make sure that the um, nothing of a character or nothing interesting could be in the film. They wanted something. <laughs> uh, they wanted blandness to be assured. Wow. Okay. So I can understand why like Ben Affleck is trying to escape this franchise as soon as possible because he's you've seen yeah. that oh no this is a creativity black hole this is a nightmare now so <laughs> this much is clear yeah well I think I'm going to want to hear about that next week yeah uh, from what I heard it's uh, like Suicide Squad <laughs> hooray a movie that I didn't watch either <laughs> of course not why would you <laughs> anyway bye bye